Welcome to the 65th episode of the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Gadiel Cartagena, speaking with co-host Tyler Yarnell. Today we talk Colts-Titans takeaways and then starts and sits for Week 10. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. It is just me, Gadiel, today. There is no Tyler due to unfortunate circumstances, but it does not matter. We're still going to have a good time. We're doing Week 10 starts and sits, but before we get into that, I do want to talk about Thursday Night Football a little bit. It was an interesting game. Um, it was a game that the Colts pretty much dominated in the second half, but in the first half, it was a pretty good game. Uh, A.J. Brown had some drops, really bad game from him, one catch for 21 yards. Corey Davis uh, looking like a high floor play. He had a bad game against the Bears, but I mean, it's still very possible that he is involved in this game plan every single week. So like Corey Davis, um, on that side of the football, really not too much to talk about. Jonu Smith, boom, buzzed, rushing touchdown, but you don't feel super confident in starting him. He has as much upside as any other tight end, but the volume can literally give you a zero. So he's pretty much just a glorified streaming option at this point. Um, Derrick Henry, no touchdown, still dominant on the ground against a great run defense. Um, lots of confidence moving forward with Derrick Henry. The schedule gets a little bit easier after, I believe, week 12. And then playoff schedule, I mean, he's going to win people leagues, but it's kind of hard to get him. Derrick Henry is pretty much people who drafted him are keeping him on their teams the entire year. What I do want to talk about is two players on the, or three players on the Colts. So Jordan Wilkins, we don't really care about him. Um, Naheem Hines. I want to start this off by talking about Naheem Hines before we get into a little bit of the negative. Naheem Hines, to me, has looked like the best Colts running back. And it was given that he was going to be the best receiving running back in this backfield. But now you see him being the best runner. And behind what what little scheme that the Colts use for a run game, I mean, they really just put their five guys up there and say, push these guys back. And they hope that the line can create some yards for the running backs to run. But Naheem Hines is the one who's patient. He's the one that runs with a little burst. He runs, he's small, but he runs aggressively. And he pretty much maximizes the amount of yards that they can get. So is Naheem Hines going to get the ball 20 times a game? Hell no. But I think he's deserving of being the one guy that sees double-digit touches every single week. I believe he is the best running back on the Colts right now. And if you guys have been listening to this podcast, you know I love Jonathan Taylor. I, I really like Jonathan Taylor at college. But to this point in the NFL, it, he hasn't given us anything, and he hasn't given the Colts anything to say, wow, we can't keep this kid off the field. Um, he's really just been an above average, maybe below average, depending on how you view him, player. And I think a lot of that stems from what he might be doing in practice. Maybe he's also just not wowing them in practice because he's been average, uh, or he was average against the Titans, but obviously that did not continue, and the workload did not continue. So you don't feel good about Jonathan Taylor. I do think Naheem Hines is going to be the number one waiver wire ad. Uh, as much boom bust has been attached to his name this year, I think at some point you see that he's the guy that's capable of having the big game. He's the guy that's capable of making the offense less predictable. I mean, they were moving the ball easily on the Titans with Naheem Hines on the field. And I, as much as I love Jonathan Taylor, I don't blame them. And honestly, I don't see a reason why you would make Jonathan Taylor do all these things that he isn't particularly comfortable with at this point when you have Naheem Hines who is completely comfortable doing anything they ask of him he's the veteran he knows the system he's much more comfortable in this offense it doesn't make sense not to so for Jonathan Taylor are you dropping him in redraft yet no but if he has another bad game against Green Bay honestly I would not hesitate to do it I think Green Bay is one game that he potentially can regain some value but even at that I don't know if I'm feeling comfortable with him for the rest of the year despite the amazing schedule 
It's just they have a lack of commitment to him. He's one of those volume workhorses where he needs the ball a lot to get going, and he wears down a defense. And the Colts just don't believe in him to do that. And quite honestly, I don't blame them. When you have Naheem Hines being as explosive as he is, you like to give the ball to him. So, yeah, Naheem Hines, huge upgrade from Thursday Night Football. Jonathan Taylor, relatively big downgrade. I was saying by law on him. Um, <laughs> I guess I look really stupid for doing that, but it happens. And another play I want to talk about, Michael Pittman Jr. Tyler's not here to vouch for him, but this is Tyler's guy. Tyler's been talking about him for a long time. Said there's a lot of Allen Robinson in his game. He's very explosive. He's a physical, physical player. And I kind of started to see a little bit of that coming up. And then against the Titans, it all came to fruition. I believe he had over 100 yards receiving. He also had a 21-yard carry. I mean, breaking tackles, like gaining yards after contact. Love to see that from a rookie receiver. And he was just getting open. He's a possession receiver. And he projects to be a number one receiver in the NFL. So maybe this is more of a dynasty thing. In redraft, I do believe he does need to be picked up. We will talk about him on waivers. But in dynasty... I mean, with an actual good quarterback that can throw the entire route tree because Philip Rivers really can't throw a nine route right now, I think Michael Pittman Jr. might be a really good sleeper to try to buy in Dynasty right now. I mean, you see the ability that he has. He can run the full route tree inside-outside receiver. They were playing him at the slot. They were playing him outside. They were giving him jet sweeps. They were running him in motion. I mean, it looked like Frank Reich was moving him around as if he was the number one receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. Not T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman. Not to mention he's also a good blocker, which is obviously a good thing that the Colts wanted to see. He does add some physicality from the receiver position in the run game. So Michael Pittman Jr., another guy, I really think if you can try to get him maybe for like a late, if you're a winning team and you can get him for like a late 2021 20, second, uh, maybe a few thirds. I mean, I don't really know what his value might be. People drafted him to rookie drafts in the second rounds of most drafts this year. But with a real quarterback who can throw deep, I think Michael Pittman Jr. might be a top, he could be a top 20 wide receiver in fantasy football, in all honesty. He has the skill set to do so. He's one of those guys that's going to command a lot of targets because he can win in a lot of different ways. So those are the takeaways from Thursday Night Football. Obviously a really good game for the Colts. Not a great game for the Titans, and they play again in two weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Titans adjust. But we don't really care about two weeks from now. We care about week 10. We want to win our week. We want the starts and sits, and that's what we're going to do. So... Running back starts. I want to start this off by saying Mark Ingram, if he is out, I am firing up J.K. Dobbins as the start of the week. Personally, I will be playing him over Leonard Fournette, uh, Wayne Gallman with Devonta Freeman being out, Daryl Henderson. Um, I'm going to be playing J.K. Dobbins with incredible amounts of confidence if Mark Ingram is out. If he is not out, then J.K. Dobbins is really just a risky flex play because this is a great matchup for J.K. Dobbins, but at the same time, the Ravens have been reluctant to show... J.K. Dobbins that work. They have not given him that work with Ingram there. And maybe he just took over as the lead back. Even with Ingram back, he might be the lead. But it's kind of like you want to wait and see exactly how it's going to look before you're banking on J.K. Dobbins getting that starter volume without it actually happening. So J.K. Dobbins, I really, really like. Another player that I like, if David Johnson is out, Duke Johnson. Revenge game against the Cleveland Browns. And Duke Johnson's just a damn good football player. Um, honestly, very similar to J.K. Dobbins. If he gets that workload, he's going to be incredibly efficient, and he's going to be really good. So I like Duke Johnson, especially with the PPR upside. So in PPR leagues, I think he has legitimate RB1 upside. I know it might sound crazy saying that, but... If you're talking about a top 12 running back, given the way that running backs look this week, Alvin Kamara has a tough matchup, CMC is out. I mean, there's some good running backs with tough matchups, and is 
Cleveland the best matchup for running backs? Not really, but with Deshaun Watson moving around and Duke Johnson getting that scramble drill, it is going to be tough for linebackers to pick between guarding Duke or stopping Deshaun. And I think Duke Johnson uh, kind of runs wild against the Browns. Wouldn't surprise me if he went over 100 yards from scrimmage this week. Another duo that I really like, J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson against Detroit, which is the worst running defense against fantasy running backs. They are 32nd. You saw what Dalvin Cook did to them. I mean, pretty much everybody has been going, been going crazy against them. I think David Montgomery even had a pretty solid game uh, to start the year. So that'll kind of tell you everything you need to know about the Detroit Lions front seven. And with Alex Smith, I think you're going to see a ridiculous amount of checkdowns. I mean, he is captain checkdown. He loves to throw the ball to the running backs because he can't move. And he's going to dump it off and just hope that the running backs miss or make the linebackers miss a tackle. And then they break a big play. And that's what this, I think this offensive game plan is going to boil down to. You're probably going to see bracketed coverage on Terry McLaurin. Cam Sims and Logan Thomas might get some underneath work. Maybe Steven Sims if he's even in the game. But J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson, I'm feeling really confident in them. Especially in Antonio Gibson if it is a neutral to positive game script. If they're not down 20-3 to the way they were last week. I love Antonio Gibson this week. He could finish as a top five running back because he's incredibly explosive. We know he can break the big run. I mean, he's been doing it game in and game out. This year, he's really impressed. I love the way he's played, his patience, his vision, his burst, his power, his speed. He's kind of got it all. And I'm feeling good about Antonio Gibson this week. Uh, Having a lot of leagues, playing him with... Once again, incredible amounts of confidence. The only way it doesn't look like a boom game for him is if it's a negative game script, in which case it will be more of a McKissick game. I do believe both of these guys are at least RB2s in PPR this week, with Gibson having more RB1 upside in PPR. Um, I kind of see, like a few years ago, the Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams split, where Aaron Jones would get like 12, 14, maybe 16 touches a game, and Jamal Williams would get a lot of the pass-catching work. But Aaron Jones would still be involved in the passing game as well. I think that's the mix that you get. Gibson being the Aaron Jones role. McKissick being the Jamal Williams role. I like that duo a lot this week. Another duo I like, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. I think Fournette is a safer play on a week-to-week basis. But this is one of the weeks where Ronald Jones has a ton of upside. I think he could hit that 15-20 to carry mark. In which, in that case, he should have a big game. Ronald Jones is a really good player. I've talked about Ronald Jones a lot. I like him. I don't think Fournette is that good, but his role in this offense is pure gold. I mean, he's the quote-unquote nickelback, whatever the hell that means from Bruce Arians, but he catches passes a lot. I think six straight games with six or more receptions. With Tom Brady, I mean, come on. This dude is a 225-pound James White is what you're really looking at, and (laughs) I don't care what you think about Leonard Fournette. That fantasy upside with that many touches from Tom Brady, not to mention some goal line work, it could be nice against the Carolina Panthers. Last time he played the Panthers, I believe Fournette went over 25 PPR points. So maybe looking, not that, not that kind of ceiling, but you could be looking at a pretty good game for Fournette. So feeling good about him. Running back sits. Uh, some big names on here, actually. We're going to start off with uh, Melvin Gordon. I know it is a good matchup against Las Vegas, but at the same time, I don't think he's the best running back in this backfield anymore. Um, I'm feeling more confident in Philip Lindsay as a flex than I do Melvin Gordon as an RB2. And that's what he's projected as right now. I think he's more of a flex this week. He can still score. He can get that RB2 number, but he's going to need a touchdown. I don't think by pure volume and PPR value, it is a great game for Melvin Gordon. I think this is a game where Drew Locke understands he can beat them in the passing game. And the running game, the running defense for the Raiders is not great, but I think they're good enough to slow down Melvin Gordon, who honestly, after the first few weeks of the season, just has not looked great. Um, this this fit 
with Pat Shermer has not been fantastic. I thought it would be more seamless than it was. So I'm not feeling good about Melvin Gordon. Another running back I don't like this week is Jarek McKinnon. Word came out today that he's supposed to be getting a ton of work. I don't like that. <laughs> the work is fine. In PPR, he's more of a safe flex play because he's going to catch passes. They're going to be in a negative game script. But Jarek McKinnon, I don't think he's going to be all that efficient. And I just think this Saints defense with Quan Alexander in there, they are starting to turn the corner. I mean, they're going to be able to stop running backs in the passing game. I think that's kind of why they got Quan Alexander. Um, and Quan Alexander, also a revenge game for him. I think he's going to do a good job of covering Jarek McKinnon, kind of understands what exactly they want to do. And I'm not feeling good about any San Francisco running back this week. I understand Jarek McKinnon's probably projected to be a high RB2. I would fade that projection. I think he's more of a flex in PPR and really someone I'd be looking to sit in half in half PPR and standard. Another two running backs that I'm tempering expectations on. One, Daryl Henderson, my sweet prince. I love Daryl Henderson. He's incredibly explosive. Got a lot of Devonta Freeman in this man. And I really like the way he plays football, but at the same time, he is playing in Seattle, who with Snacks Harrison, Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams healthy, and the Seahawks just not being able to stop a single pass play, they are a pass funnel defense, which means all the volume and the way that you get yards on this team is by throwing the football. You're not going to get too much running into the teeth of this defense, and I think Sean McVay understands that. He's going to do some play action. Henderson will get some work. But coming off of a thigh injury, I don't know if I'm extremely confident in Daryl Henderson being anything more than a touchdown-dependent flex this week, as opposed to the RB2 with RB1 upside that he is every other week against a not-pass-funnel defense. Even if it's a tough matchup, he can eat. But in this matchup, I just think Jared Goff is going to be throwing the ball a ton. I love the Rams receivers this week. Do not like Daryl Henderson or any of the running backs. Although I do want to see what the split looks like coming out of the bye with Cam Akers. I want to see if Cam Akers is able to carve out a role for himself. And the last running back, temper expectations at least, not really a sit, is Mike Davis. I understand he had eight catches and 74 yards last time he played against the Bucs. He's going to need eight to 10 catches this week as well. And I don't see that happening because of the emergence of Curtis Samuel as a receiving weapon out of the backfield. Curtis Samuel has been getting some nice volume as a receiver and as a running back, and I do not expect that to just stop now that Christian McCaffrey is hurt and Mike Davis is back as the RB1. I think Curtis Samuel has carved out a role as kind of the gadget guy in this offense that gets more touches that takes away from everybody else. He's hurting DJ Moore. He hasn't really hurt Robbie Anderson, but Robbie Anderson's just running slant routes, so I don't really care about that. And he's going to hurt Mike Davis. So I do not feel confident in Mike Davis. I think he's more of a PPR flex than people thinking he's that back-end RB1 by volume with CMC being out. No, this is Tampa Bay. They got their shit kicked in last week. It was a tough, tough game for Tampa Bay. They are going to come out guns blazing against the Carolina Panthers. I think this is a kind of, we are who, like, this is the Tampa Bay Bucks game. They kind of let you know who they are. They're dominant in the front seven on defense. They force turnovers, and they're risk-takers in the secondary. And on offense, I mean... Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski. Hell, I can even throw Cameron Braid in there, plus a good offensive line when they're healthy. And the offensive line is healthy this week. So <laughs> not looking good for Mike Davis this week. I don't think this is a Mike Davis game. Um, I do want to get into wide receiver starts here. I'm feeling ridiculously confident in these wide receiver starts, starting with potentially my start of the week. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I love this week, but Tyler Boyd in specific and T Higgins, I'm throwing them both in this mix, but I think the single start of the week is going to be Tyler Boyd. I think the secondary for the Steelers is very, very beatable, especially 
if you can kind of elude pressure a little bit, and it's going to be tough for Burrow to do that. But if Tyler Boyd is getting Mike Hilton in the slot all game, it's going to be barbecue chicken for him. I would not be surprised if Boyd had one of those games where he gets like 10 catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. And T. Higgins, I mean, you guys know how I feel about T. Higgins. T. Higgins is going to be one of the better receivers in the NFL for years to come. He's one hell of a football player. He's well-rounded, does everything well. So, obviously, with him matching up against Steven Nelson or Joe Hayden, one, I think he can beat them in contested catch. Two, I think he can beat them off the line and beat them down the field. Three, I think he's a good enough route runner to be able to create separation over the middle of the field. So, as long as Minka Fitzpatrick isn't picking his targets off, it's going to be a good game for T. Higgins as well. So, I think both of these guys are wide receiver twos with wide receiver one upside. If they are able to get into the end zone, feeling good about both of them. And another receiver that I really, really like, more volume-based, Brandon Ayuk. I love his talent. I think he has a great nuance to his game. He understands leveraging and breaking in and out, when to do it, how to release. I mean, he's kind of got it all, and he can also contest and catch. The dude has, like, the largest wingspan since Calvin Johnson. Um, (laughs) Kind of an athletic freak, and he's really good after the catch. And if you know me, you know I think this Saints secondary is overrated. Last week, obviously, they looked fantastic against Tom Brady because Tom Brady had one of those games but this week getting a ton a ton of volume with Nick Mullins at quarterback being the clear-cut wide receiver one in San Francisco I expect Brandon Ayuk to be at least a volume-based wide receiver two and given his talent and the way that I think he can actually win these matchups I don't think he'll be shadowed by Marshawn Lattimore I think they'll play sides this game so if he gets Denoris Jenkins down the field whoo it could be a good, good game for Brandon Ayuk. So I'm starting him with confidence in my leagues as well, starting him over a few of the wide receiver sits we will get into. And DJ Chark, I wish Tyler was here to talk about this because he vouched for DJ Chark last week. He was right. And you always want to see, before you kind of label a breakout, you want to see the follow-up game. And I think with Jair Alexander being out for the Green Bay Packers, it is going to be a spectacular follow-up game for DJ Chark once again last week I believe he finished with 140 yards and a touchdown on like seven catches and it wouldn't surprise me if he finished with over 100 yards again this week against a Jair Alexanderless Packers like Jair Alexander is the reason this past secondary is good but DJ Tark with with no Jair Alexander I'm feeling very very confident in DJ Tark getting that volume from Jake Lutton getting those deep targets breaking a big play maybe he'll score a touchdown but I'm just feeling good about DJ Tark as a player as a whole All he needed was someone that can threaten deep with the deep ball, and then it opens up his entire route tree, which if you don't watch DJ Chark, you think he's just a deep threat. He's not. He's a complete receiver, can run the full route tree. He's great at getting open in those intermediate routes in the middle of the field. He is really good and dangerous on a dig route, and obviously he runs 4-3 speed, crazy catch radius, and he catches the ball in stride. I like DJ Chark a lot this week. And the last guy with another follow-up game, Jerry Judy. So he balled out against the Atlanta Falcons last week. It was my bold prediction he would go over 100 yards. That was the bold prediction that I hit on. I did miss on J.K. Dobbins outscoring D.J. Dallas. But Jerry Judy, 14 targets last week. I think seven catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. That's kind of what you're going to get again this week. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly the same, but I'm feeling good about Jerry Judy's volume with Drew Locke. I think they're starting to figure things out. They're starting to get a rapport. And if Drew Locke hits him on a few more targets last week, I mean, Judy could have gone over 200 yards. He had some open plays. They started holding him at the end of the game because they just didn't want him to get a 40-yard chunk play. They were giving him like 10 yards on a defensive hold instead. And it honestly ended up working for the Falcons. They ended up winning the game. But Jerry Judy, I'm feeling 
very confident in him this week. I think this breakout is not a fluke. I think it is a legit thing. He is just that good. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL already. If you saw the touchdown last week, he puts his hand up, deceiving the corner to make him think that he's going for the fade route, and he just stops on a dime, catches the ball at the five, and goes to the end zone. I mean, this dude is just... His swag is on a hundred. It is unbelievable to watch Jerry Judy play football. He's ridiculously confident in his craft, and he's a technician. He knows what he's doing. He's a master of his craft, which is route running. So I love Jerry Judy this week, pretty much every week, honestly. I don't know if there's very many cover corners that can stop a player like him. Like the same way Keenan Allen, just it doesn't matter who's guarding him because he's just going to be open. He's always open. It doesn't matter who's like pressing him, whatever. It's, he's just a great rounder, route runner, and he knows how to create separation. So I think Jerry Judy's trending in that direction to be a... This week, I'm saying he's a high-end flex with wide receiver 2 upside. Honestly, low wide receiver 1 upside if he has that same touchdown as last week. But you're feeling good about Jerry Judy for the rest of the year. That breakout was legit, and Drew Locke is starting to look at him. 14 targets is not a fluke for Jerry Judy. It's the type of volume he should be getting with Cortland Sutton being out. Last guy that I want to talk about, Brandon Cooks. I just think he's a rock-solid wide receiver, too, with wide receiver upside again, wide receiver one upside again this week. Denzel Ward's going to be on Will Fuller. He matches up well with Will Fuller. And Brandon Cooks should be able to get open underneath. The secondary for the Browns is really not that good. Even if Denzel Ward isn't on Will Fuller, I'm not scared of him. But I do believe that he will cover Will Fuller for the majority of the game. And Brandon Cooks will be the guy moving the chains for the Houston Texans, I think. Kind of like when you see DK Metcalf get shadowed and then Tyler Lockett has a big game and he sees a ton of volume. Uh, Brandon Cook's not typically a high volume guy, but I think this is one of those games where he gets like six for 95 and maybe a touchdown and you're feeling good about Brandon Cooks. So wide receiver sits this week, DJ Moore. DJ Moore, I'm not going to start him until I see a consistent target share. It just has not been working. He has had under six targets in five of his last six games, I believe. Not feeling good about his target share right now. Robbie Anderson runs the routes that DJ Moore should be running. I don't know when that changes. Matt Rule and Joe Brady are proving that Robbie Anderson, I guess, was a good signing. Obviously, it was a good signing for the team, but it's coming at the expense of the best player not named Christian McCaffrey on this offense. So don't love DJ Moore this week, pretty much any week, until we see him get that target share that you want to see. He had a good game against Tampa Bay last time, so maybe that happens again. But with Curtis Samuel's emergence, I'm not feeling confident. Justin Jefferson on Monday Night Football. I just don't think Kirk has enough time to even go deep with all the pressure he's going to see this game from Khalil Mack. Um, Khalil Mack is going to get to Kirk Cousins and make his life hell. And in turn, I think it's going to hurt Justin Jefferson. I think Adam Thielen running the underneath routes are going to be the way that they're going to be able to move the chains in this game. Tight ends also getting involved. But I'm not feeling good about Justin Jefferson with those deep balls. If he's able to play good this game, I will feel supremely confident in him moving forward in games where they can stop the run but I just don't think it's going to happen for Justin Jefferson this week I think this is one of those tough games where he has another not really a bust game but like a seven to eight point outing and then he's an incredible buy low moving forward Mike Evans once again same thing with DJ Moore I don't trust the volume with Mike Evans especially in a game where I believe the Bucks will be winning and it's going to be a big game for the running backs I think Leonard Fournette Ronald Jones both of them get a lot of work and I don't think Mike Evans gets that much volume. He's not the kind of guy that sees the high-volume high targets. He sees deep balls. So he's getting like two to three of those a game. You're hoping he connects. But with Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin there and Rob Gronkowski becoming that red zone threat for Tom Brady once again, what's Mike Evans' role outside of a field stretcher? That's all he is. He's a field stretcher with a 43-year-old quarterback right now. And until his role changes, until they start using him as a big slot, maybe a possession guy, a jump ball guy over the middle of the field, 
I don't really know where exactly the upside comes. So not feeling good about Mike Evans this week. And another guy, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think it is a light temper expectations for DK Metcalf this week. He is matching up with Jalen Ramsey, expected to be shadowed by Jalen Ramsey the entire game. And we've seen it. We saw it against Arizona. If Russell Wilson is not going to force the ball to DK Metcalf, if he has an elite, elite corner on him, not that he won't throw it to him. He's still completely capable of holding his own in this matchup and getting those 15 points. But I don't think you're going to see one of those 25, 30-point boom games from DK Metcalf. More of like a 15, 18-point game if he scores a touchdown. If not, you're looking at 10 to 12, in my opinion. And I think it's a Tyler Lockett game. I think it's a game where Lockett gets more volume, kind of the same way we saw against Arizona. Lockett had 20 targets, 15 catches for 200 yards and three touchdowns. And not saying that is exactly going to happen again, but I expect this to be a game where Lockett outproduces DK Metcalf for the first time in like four weeks. Uh, DK Metcalf is the number one receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. But I'm feeling much, much, much more confident in Tyler Lockett than DK Metcalf this week. Not saying to sit him. You're still starting him because he's DK Metcalf. He's been a top five wide receiver in the NFL this year, honestly. Um, Put all your bias aside. He's been fantastic with Russ. I don't care if it's the fact that he's playing with Russell Wilson. This dude has been lighting it up week in and week out. And he's just good. He's a good NFL player. So you're not benching him. But at the same time, you're just not expecting that crazy of a game this week. Moving into the streaming tight ends of the week, we have two options this week. Um, I'm going to favor one of them here. I don't believe he's the better player, but I believe his situation is fantastic this week. With Tua as his quarterback, Mike Gesicki is the streaming tight end of the week for us. He's at 50% owned in 54% owned in ESPN leagues. And if he's available on your waiver wire or if he's sitting on the end of your bench, go ahead and put him in your lineups this week. No Travis Kelsey. I expect Mike Gesicki to be a top five tight end this week. I expect a touchdown. He's going to be playing that big slot role, kind of like how Preston Williams and Isaiah Ford had been splitting with Mike Gesicki, but now Preston Williams is hurt, Isaiah Ford's in New England, Mike Gesicki is going to be the number two target for Tua Tagovailoa, and if you didn't watch him last week against the Arizona Cardinals, which is a solid defense, Tua Tagovailoa is a good quarterback, he's going to hit his guys in stride, he's incredibly accurate, and it looks like he uh, dusted off the cobwebs after week one, after his first week against the Rams. He looked great against the Cardinals, so I'm expecting him to play good again this week. And in turn, I believe Mike Kosicki will benefit, see volume, see red zone volume, and score a touchdown this week, which is really all you can hope for from the tight end position. Another guy that I think is a great streamer option this week, personally I am streaming him, Dallas Goddard. You have to feel good about Dallas Goddard. One, I believe he's a better player than Zach Ertz. Two, there is no Zach Ertz in this game. Three, he's going against the New York Giants. So yes, the Giants have been a pretty tough, stingy matchup against tight ends this year but the last time that these two teams played Richard Rodgers who is a waiver wire like streaming tight end option in the actual NFL like he will bounce from team to team he went for six catches and 85 yards against the New York Giants so I can only imagine what Dallas Goddard who in my opinion is a top 10 tight end in the NFL will do against that same team I think this is a matchup where it works really well in Dallas Goddard's favor I'm feeling confident in him I think he also has top six, top five upside this week, and I also expect him to get into the end zone in this matchup because we know Carson Wentz loves targeting his tight ends in that area. So love both of those guys as streaming tight end options of the week. I will take Gesicki over Goddard just because I have more confidence in him being the number two target this week. We could see a Jalen Rieger breakout game, which kind of hurts Dallas Goddard a little bit, but I'm feeling confident in Dallas Goddard nonetheless. And streaming quarterbacks of the week, we got two options once again. Uh, speaking of two options, we got Tua, 
Talked about Tua a little bit. I feel good about him against the Los Angeles Chargers. This secondary is decimated. It is literally Casey Hayward on Devontae Parker and then nobody else. That actually scares me. So I'm feeling good about Tua Tagovailoa this week. I think this is going to be another impressive outing for the Miami Dolphins offensively. Uh, defensively, it could be tough missing Christian Wilkins and Kyle Van Noy. So I'm expecting kind of a shootout between Justin Herbert and uh, Tua Tagovailoa, two rookie quarterbacks, two of the best rookie quarterbacks we've seen in a while matching up. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Justin Herbert kept this one real close. I think it's going to be a good game. I believe the Dolphins are the better team, but I expect Tua to have really good numbers. I'm expecting at least 250 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, could be potential for way more touchdowns. This offense is very efficient, and it looks like they're good in the red zone as well. So I like Tua this week, but the streaming quarterback of the week for me is Jared Goff. And that is because the Seattle Seahawks are giving up, I believe, 362 passing yards a game, which is literally unheard of. I mean, you saw Cam Newton, who can barely throw for 150 against any other team, throw for 440 against the Seattle Seahawks. Nikhil Harry, who can barely catch a pass against any other team, had eight catches for 72 yards against the Seahawks. Uh, I mean, they've had some crazy, crazy breakout games happen against them. And I believe this is going to be a game where Jared Goff, with that play-action game, maybe he doesn't see as much time because the Seahawks start to blitz him, but he's going to be able to hit Josh Reynolds, Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, and Robert Woods, especially Cup and Woods. I'm feeling ridiculously confident in them. But I like Goff a lot this week. I understand he doesn't have that rushing upside, but you don't really need that if your team is projected to score like 28 points through the air this week. So that's kind of what I'm expecting from them. It wouldn't surprise me if Goff had three, four, maybe even five touchdowns in what should be a shootout in the NFC West this week. So I'm feeling good about Jared Goff as well. And with all that being said, these are the starts and sits of the week. I know it is just myself, so you're probably bored of hearing my voice. We will be actually, we're going to do some bold predictions right now. Tyler's not even here, so I forgot about that. But I do want to get into a bold prediction. If Mark Ingram is out, J.K. Dobbins has another 100-yard game from scrimmage. I will change that bold prediction, post it on Instagram if Mark Ingram is in. But if Mark Ingram is out, I'm feeling way too confident in J.K. Dobbins this week. I love him. And it's Tyler Boyd's birthday on Sunday. I expect Tyler Boyd to go for, actually, no, we'll say 20 PPR points. 20 PPR points from Tyler Boyd. I expect that to happen. I think he's a wide receiver one this week. I'm playing him in a few leagues. Quite honestly, I don't care. This dude is a perfect matchup for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm feeling good about him, and I'm feeling good about J.K. Dobbins. So those are my bold predictions for the week. If you want Tyler's bold predictions, make sure to check out our Instagram, at First Take Fantasy, on Sunday morning, where we'll be posting these bold predictions. I will update it if Ingram is in, but if Ingram is out, I will be keeping J.K. Dobbins' 100-yard from scrimmage guy this week. And Tyler Boyd, you already know, it's his birthday. You saw it yesterday with Naheem Hines. It was his birthday. You're going to see it again with other players' birthdays. I believe Calvin Ridley, his birthday is like on the Fantasy Football Championship. So you're going to see some big birthday games. And I think Tyler Boyd is going to keep that streak going. Wish him a happy birthday. And he's going to win you your weeks this week. So you make sure you get him in your lineups. That wraps up our Week 10 Starts and Sits podcast. If you want us to answer your questions, make sure to ask us on social media. Our social media accounts are linked in the description of this pod. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Mm.